Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Psalms and the steadfast love of God. We'll explore the intricacies of God's covenant love for His people and learn what it means to pour out our hearts to Him. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Anna Norton and Hope Grinnell. I appreciate the two of you joining us today, and Hope, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you and Anna know one another. So Anna and I actually both went to Georgia College, and we met our freshman year, and we're led in a Bible study together, and now we actually work together. So we've known each other for a long time, and it's been really sweet. Been through a lot with each other from yes. freshman year of college to, you know, a lot of years out of college. So it's been really fun. And it's fun when you're doing a ministry together. Oh, yeah. Working together has been really good. Um, we're designed really differently. So it's fun to work together because we have such different gifts. So And if, if you can appreciate each other's different yeah. gifts yeah. and yeah, put them to use and not feel bad that you don't have the other person's mm-hmm. gifts, it is, it is really fun. That's true. All right, well, let's do our first things first question, and that is, where is the first place you would take someone if they were to come visit your hometown? So you're going to answer the question and tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Yes, yeah, so my name is Anna Norton. Um, I grew up in Augusta, um, but moved away for a while, lived in Florida, and now um, I'm back here. I am married to Wes, and he is a physical therapist here in Augusta, um, but when I was thinking through this question... I just thought about where would I, where did I take Wes when I brought him here for the first time back to Augusta. And I spent a lot of years at Westminster. I was one of those kindergarten to senior year girls. And so um, I, one of the first places I wanted to show him was just Westminster and where I used to play basketball and soccer and go to class. And um, so, yeah, that's one of the first places I took him. Yeah, I love that. So Westminster's a school here in town that's connected to our church. And I love that, Anna, because my oldest is about to graduate. And just to know that I can see it now in his senior year, I could see it all the way through. I appreciated it. Mm-hmm. But now for him to be at that senior year and to see all of the ways that Westminster has invested in him and that he'll come back and want to show somebody those places and how meaningful that is. He was a, a pre-K to oh, senior wow. year as well. Extra year. What do they call him? They call him like... um Oh, we're not going to be able to think about it, are yeah, they? But there's know. a special name, and yeah. and my son Creed really wanted to be the special name, so <laughs> that I can't. Remember. I don't think they had pre-K at Westminster when I was starting, so <laughs> so he, he's one up on you. Yeah, I'll he tell is. him that. Okay, yeah, I feel good about that. <laughs> good. All right, Hope. What about you? So my name is Hope Grinnell. I am married to Kyle Grinnell, and I also work for Campus Outreach with Anna. I'm on campus at Augusta University, which has been really a joy for the past six years. My hometown is Woodstock, Georgia, so it's outside of Atlanta. And this is such a silly answer. I have a really favorite restaurant there because of their wings. Okay. <laughs> so it's called Taco Mac, and they have the best buffalo chicken wings I've ever had and ranch. So every time I go home, that's where I stop to see when I see my parents. So it's my favorite spot. I don't think that's silly. I think hometown wings food that you love wings at Taco Mac. So yes. do they have tacos too? I don't think so. Actually, they don't have Does tacos it really at make Taco sense. Mac. It doesn't really make sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, yeah. unexpected. And then when you tell people you grow you grew up at Woodstock, or do they like give you two looks? Yeah, they're like, look? oh, the hippie Woodstock. <laughs> no, oh, no, right. 
Yeah, yeah. That's what completely to, different. Gave to my mind. Yes, too funny. Um, so I grew up in a super small town, and you know, just hearing about your formative years at school. I mean, I guess that was there for me, but definitely just home and church was kind of where I lived my life, and you know, athletics and stuff like that. But for the food scene, we had maybe one local flair. Uh, village pizza mm, it was yeah, legendary okay. with the the high schoolers when we had our own little pocket money we would go get the breadsticks with extra cheese and just you know things that you eat in high school all the healthy snacks we had so yeah i guess that would be like our little local uh, food dive so good memories there and mm. w- honestly even now when we get home my husband wants to go there does he yeah okay. so he likes to know that you're an adult do you still consider a good pizza uh, it's probably not my favorite, but it is. Sorry, Village Pizza. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it is a nostalgia. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. All right. Well, we've said this before a couple of times, Aaron, but we both grew up in very small mm-hmm. towns. And my town had one flashing little yellow light that was mm-hmm. uh, and some stop signs. But it does have a university in town, Taylor University. And so it's got some life there. But what it's really known for is a little restaurant called Ivanhoe's. And what Ivanhoe's is famous for is that they have a hundred, if you open up their menu, it's this big menu and it has 101 different Sundays. They all have a different title, 101. Uh, so they'll have a different wow. name. You know, maybe it's wow. like Wildcat 2 or Turtle Dove or, you know, something along <laughs> those lines. 101 different unique names of Sundays and 101 different unique names of shakes. Wow. And they all have separate ingredients. And I worked there a little bit in high school and to try to remember, so somebody comes up and says, oh, I would gosh. like a wildcat too. And you're like, okay, now what is in a wildcat too? And we had like a recipe box that we would go back and look in. And it is relatively famous. David Letterman went to school not far from my small town and he mm-hmm. mentions it on his late night show. And when I encounter anybody like this past Sunday night, I was talking to a friend who was talking to somebody on her son's baseball team. And found out she was from Indiana and they started making conversation and it worked itself all the way back to Ivanhoe's. Yes, oh, I've been to Ivanhoe's. Wow. I love Ivanhoe's. So That's it cool. can be a uh, interesting little point of commonality mm. in that tiny little town. People know of it. But, you know, I think it's easy for us ladies to share. Of course, it is easy for us to share the good things and good places in our lives with people. We want to take them there. We want mm. to relive some of those memories. We want to celebrate that. Uh, with somebody that we love, but not everything in our life or in ourselves is good. And we know that we're often confronted with the reality of evil and wickedness and brokenness in our lives as well. And what makes that really hard sometimes is that wickedness, the wicked often seem to prosper and justice often seems to go unchecked. And this psalm addresses the reality of that and, and asks the question, how is it that we as God's people are to live in the midst of that broken reality. And so we're coming up to Psalm 37. And if you haven't taken a moment to read this psalm, I suggest you hit the pause button and do that now, because what we have to say will make a lot more sense in the context of what the word has to say. Always encourage you to do that. David did write this psalm. And if you are at all familiar with David's life, uh, if you've read of his life in first and second Samuel, for example, you'll know that what he's talking about here in this Psalm is something that he's very familiar with in his life. What do you do in the face of wickedness? Uh, What do you do when it seems like wickedness is winning? And a couple of the ways we can see that in David's life or one big way maybe that sticks out is that when the Lord anointed had the prophet Samuel anoint David as King, 
he was going to be a future king, but the present king uh, was still ruling, and the Lord in his sovereignty allowed that present king to continue ruling. So here David had a promise, uh, but he was waiting on that promise, and in the midst of waiting, that king, King Saul, um, was threatened, of course, by David, sort of had a an inkling of what might happen, didn't want to give up his rule. And so he was constantly pursuing him and constantly trying to take his life. And David was constantly on the run and he lost a lot of things and found himself in hard and dangerous situations and suffered in friendships and relationships and all sorts of things like that. And, and so it seemed to be to him, I'm sure often that wickedness was winning. And there's one time in particular that you may be familiar with if you're familiar with David's life at all, where he is on the run and it so happens, just so happens as the Bible says in the Lord's sovereignty that King Saul walks into this cave. David happens to be hiding. However huge that cave is, who knows, but somehow David's able to sneak up and cuts off a corner of his robe. And then David's so struck with guilt over the fact that he's taken justice in his hands against the Lord's anointed. He knows that the Lord's appointed this King, King Saul to be King until the time that he, the Lord sees fit. And so David, you know, just confesses that part of him that wants to take that into his hands and get rid of that problem himself. Well, and that takes place in in 1 Samuel 24. But then in 1 Samuel 25, I find it very interesting that it starts out by talking about another man, a wicked man that David's confronted with. And this man's name is Nabal. He's very rich. He's got a lot of cattle, a lot of a lot of resources. And his shepherds are out with his cattle in the fields. And it so happens that David and his men who are on the run are also sort of hiding in this general vicinity. And they make a point of protecting Nabal's shepherds, his flocks, that sort of thing. And Nabal throws a party. David sends some men to say, hey, can we come? Essentially, and Abel's like, I don't even know who you are. Who do you think you are? You're nobody to me. Why would I give you anything, et cetera, et cetera. And in that culture, it was especially offensive to not show that generosity and to not show that generosity to somebody who has already shown that generosity of protection to you. So David says, well, I'm riding in and I'm going to I'm going to take some justice out on this man. I'm going to. Uh, wreak havoc basically on him, take justice into my own hands. And and Nabal's wife, Abigail, comes out and just reminds David of what he knew the passage before, that the Lord is sovereign, that you belong to him, that he has made you good promises. Don't step outside of this and enter into wickedness because you don't trust him. Trust the Lord in the face of this wickedness. Do what is right. And that's what we see in the Psalm. You know, David knew the struggle of that. What do you do in the face of wickedness when it seems like the wicked are winning and the Lord is not interceding, and you so want to take things into your own hands, what do you do? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. This psalm is configured like an acrostic, and so each couple lines start with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so instead of making a linear argument, it circles around and around itself in some great ways. And somebody pointed out to me recently, like, isn't it so great that that psalm does that? Because don't we circle around and around in our minds so often? with these same sort of questions and dilemmas. All right, so the crux of Psalm 37 is the fact that the way of the wicked is compared to the way of the righteous. And I think it's helpful to have an understanding of what righteous, what it means to be righteous. And so Tim Keller has a quote that he says, in the Bible, righteousness refers to the day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. 
but the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community in order to advantage themselves. And we know what it's like, don't we, to see that sort of wickedness, that sort of taking advantage of someone else for the sake of themselves. And, and we're frustrated by it. And yet sometimes we almost envy it because it seems as if it brings about prosperity. What are you most prone to do when you see unrighteousness, wickedness going on? Are you most prone to fret over it or do you tend to envy uh, those who practice it? I'm definitely prone to fret over wickedness. I think it is easy for me to see evil going on in the world and just be anxious and feel like I can't trust the Lord. I need to try to control things. Specifically, I really think of the story of Eliza Fletcher. Is that something that really made me nervous and scared that I can't trust the Lord when I go out on a run and that we just always have to be on the lookout and this world is just falling apart. I spiral down into this spiral of anxiety instead of seeing that God is just, God will execute his justice and we can trust him to move forward. Yeah, I definitely think I can experience the fretting side, but just to speak in towards the envious side, I think in different seasons of my life, this has looked different. I think there were moments in college where I was envious just of the way the wicked were living and it didn't seem like they had any consequences, like they could just do whatever they wanted and no one was going to call them out for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I saw my heart at times be just jealous of the sinful life that seemed to lead to so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But I even think now I can be envious just of the... The, the way that unbelievers sometimes just don't feel like they have to work through the hardened relationships. I think um, gospel community is good, but it is hard and it's something to fight for. And sometimes I could just find myself thinking, man, this would just be easier if I didn't have to fight through this. Um, and so I think that's where I've seen the envious piece in my own heart and um, clearly born out of sin. Um, but I'm thankful even just that there's scripture that speaks into what I'm feeling that we can, we see um yeah, there were people, not just me today, but even throughout all of history who who were envious of the wicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as much as I like to think I'm not a worrier, I definitely will find myself in a fretful situation when I experience the wickedness of this world. Uh, things that are impacting me or my family um, can definitely evoke some anxiety for me. Um, but I love, even in the beginning of the psalm, that... We're encouraged not to go down that road. We're actually invited to take that injustice to the Lord, and He will be the one to see all things right in the end. And in the first 11 verses, we see all these commands and have promises attached to us as followers of the Lord, and they direct us how to live before the Lord when we're in the face of face with wickedness. So um, let's look at a couple of these, which commands with the promises particularly challenge you and encourage you? Yeah, so I think verse 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So I think this challenges and encourages me because I think my heart is so prone to not be still. Even just as reading this psalm, the word fret is used so many times, and it almost feels like it it can just control you, that fretting. Um, and so 
I think I'm thankful for this, so, this, this verse because it corrects my heart to not spiral, to not fret, to not overly think about the wicked that's going on, but just to be still. And I think it encourages me because I think before the Lord, wait patiently for him, just this r- reminder that God is sovereign and he's at work and his timing is what's best. I think that just brings so much freedom to our heart instead of spiraling in our in our fretfulness. And we just get to sit there and be patient for him to move in his timing, um, to rest in his sovereignty. I heard this said one time, live under the illusion that I have control. Um, I have zero control um, and I want to wait for the Lord's timing instead of mine. And I think this verse just corrects my heart and encourages me back to um, trust in the Lord's sovereignty. As you're saying that, that be still, I think that's the complete opposite of what fretting does. I mean, not just, I mean, it is my mind is not still, it's racing. My heart is not still, it's racing. And my body is not still. My words, you know, I've got a lot of words or I have actions or whatever. You just, you want to do something in the face of all that. And you don't even necessarily know what it is you're going to do. You just feel like you got to do something. And to be still before the Lord and to wait for Him isn't that sort of ostrich head in the sand. Be still, like, let's just turn out the lights. I don't want to look at this anymore. I don't want to think about this anymore. I'm just going to stand here with my head in the sand. It's not that. It's taking ourselves before the Lord and what we're seeing of that wickedness. It is right to be grieved by that. It's right to want to live righteously in the face of that and see righteous living done. We live righteously and that we see others benefit from righteous living, that justice, that equity we talked about in Tim Keller's quote, it's right to want those things to take place and to be involved in them. We're not saying that fretting means don't care, but fretting is just a self-focused type of anxious energy just sort of thrown out there because we have no belief in what you're saying that the Lord is coming. Like the Lord has, and he is here and he is coming and full justice and he's executing justice right now. That was helpful to me to think, yeah, be still. That's so contrary to fretting. And that's why the Lord encourages us in it. Also hard for me to be still. Yeah. But verse five definitely stuck out to me. Commit to it, your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. The promise is that he will act when we commit our way and trust in him. But both of those things are incredibly challenging as I'd rather trust in myself and I would rather go the way that I want to go apart from the Lord. But I love that he uses Yahweh right here. When we're in a covenant with God, we can trust him. He is out for our good, and he's going to act in a way that is good for us and is better than anything I have planned, even though I think my plans are the best. Actually, God's plans are the best, and I can trust in him at the end of the day um, and give those things to him, even when I want to keep some of them to myself. Well, hope you bring up that important word of trust. And your name is Hope, which is the next word I'm going to bring up. I didn't make that connection, but that that trust and hope go together. And uh, we believe in the promises of the Lord. And, and some of them he's asked us to wait on to see the fulfillment of. He's made the promise, but you, we don't yet see it perfectly complete. And so we're waiting. And the psalm really does address that fact. In, in particular, we're waiting to see justice come. And we're waiting to see the fact that righteousness really does triumph. At the end of the day, 
righteousness wins and wickedness doesn't. And right now we know that the Lord has promised that. We know that he has affected that in our own hearts. We see the ways he's doing that in the world, but we don't see the full completion of it, but we're promised that it's going to come. And so Kathleen Nielsen in her study, she observes the fact that Psalm 37 makes sense of the present, this broken present, by looking far into the future. And for us as God's people, the future is filled with hope despite the present actions of the wicked. So, for example, the wicked plot against the righteous and they gnash their teeth at them, but God laughs. He tells us he laughs. He, in other words, it's not like he thinks it's funny, but it's it's worth mocking. Like it, it's such a terribly pitifully weak attempt to foil uh, his sovereign reign that he laughs at it. And he knows that the day of the wicked's coming because he's bringing it. You know, it's the day that it says that the wicked will be no more, but the righteous will shine forth like the noonday sun, that the day of the wicked is like grass that withers. So when we have no view of the future and no hope for what it contains, then today, the brokenness of today, the wickedness of today seems logically to be all there is. And of course, what else is there to do but fret about it? And so part of what the Lord's given us here is this is not it. Y'all, this is not all there is. Remember, hope, trust, wait for those promises. When y'all think about that, how do you tend to think about the future? And does it affect the way that you see your present? I think it's hard for me when I think about the future to not be anxious, to not want to control things, and to see that God's purposes will stand, that he's on the throne, that he's sovereign and good. And it can be hard to believe that in the midst of what's going on in the world But one of my favorite psalms that I've been clinging to recently is Psalm 13.6. And there's a song that goes along with it that's beautiful. It says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We have so much to look forward to when God makes all things right. And he is doing that in some small ways on earth. But we know that in eternity, every tear will be wiped away and every wrong will be made right. Um, And so that gives me hope for the future, but I have to constantly remind myself of that and just go back to the promises that he gives me instead of fretting and instead of thinking about the things that could go wrong, uh, choosing to trust him. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to do that. I think in general, I see my attitude and mindset toward the future play out just in being in full-time ministry. I think I don't have a great understanding of this always. I see things that are hard in people's lives or I want a student to be further along in their walk with God than they are. Um, And I think I can want to control that or even just um, the state of our ministry and wanting things to be different or um, loving parts of it and wanting it to grow in those areas, I think I can wrongly believe that in order for those things to be different in the future, I need to be a part of it and I need to um, promote the change that I want to see happen. And so I think I can just wrongly live with this burden of the future is up to me. Um, The future is up to what I say and do and how I can affect that. And so I'm grateful for passages like this that just remind us because honestly when I live like that that's just a lot of pressure um, and a lot of just lack of freedom and so I want to be recreate recorrected and thinking of just the reality that we get to live in freedom because we're resting in the Lord's sovereignty and the Lord cares more about every student and staff in our ministry than I ever could Um, and just the freedom that it brings to rest in 
God's care and God's sovereignty and him holding in Colossians, it says he, he in him, all things are held together. So just this reality that he is holding this world together, I think can help me enter into the the struggles of day-to-day life better mm. because I know that he is holding us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not an escape of reality to look at the future. It's an ability to live well in reality because of the hope of the future. That's good. I like that. And y'all have got me so pumped just thinking about the abundance and the bounty that Christ promises us even here on this life and how we, how we have experienced that. It may not look that like the abundance and bounty of the, of the world, but that we do, in fact, live those lives. We do have freedom, freedom from sin and death. And Amber, I hate to bring up a whole new timepiece, but I'm going to go in the past. You can. All right. Thank you. Um, and I think for me to really see what's going on in the present, I have to remember my past and just how much my heart like to scrap together and be like devise wicked ways so that I could get ahead or just cheat the system or whatever, like all the the things that we see that the evil doers love and how when I see that when God gives us a new heart, how that's a whole different um, realm of operating, that my impulses are then righteous because the righteous one has given me a desire to love what is good and what is right. And that is not of me. And I know that my heart without him craves wickedness. And so it's just encouraging to me in this present moment to see that the Lord is still in this business of changing hearts and doing like that's a miracle that I love to do what is good and right because he has entered into my life in that way. And then as far as just looking toward the future, just knowing that in the end, yes, all things will be put right um, and that I'm not in charge. And that is really good news that I don't have to be the one who's bringing about um, the goodness and the justice that he has promised, nor could I. If, even if I thought that I was in charge of that, like I can't render that to be true. So um, just trusting that he is true and good for all of his promises. And that is good news. So Kathleen always invites us to reflect on how we see Jesus in the whole of the Bible. And here in this psalm that we've studied for this week, um, how does that deepen our understanding of the righteous life to which God calls us? Yeah, so I think earlier we were talking about just in general, this psalm um, is talking about the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous. And I just think about the reality of who am I in this psalm. You know, I, I want to say that I'm the righteous person, but the reality is my heart um, is wicked and my heart is far from the Lord. And because of Jesus, I can be righteous. Um, and, and he's invited me into life with him. But I just couldn't help but think like as we learn about the way of the righteous Jesus was all these things. Mm. He was the one who was perfectly righteous. And because of that, we get to have life with God and we can be counted as righteous. But without him, my heart would be just, I would be walking in the way of the wicked. Mm. So that's just what I was thinking about as I was reading this. Jesus was walked perfectly in the way of the righteous. Um, and because of that, we get to follow in his ways. Um, but without him leading the way, we would have been left in the life of wickedness. Mm. I love, too, that um, it says the righteous shall inherit the land five different times throughout this psalm. So it's not just a psalm about the actual physical promised land that they got, but our eternal home is being prepared for us, and that's only possible to us through Christ. And we know that he was the perfect righteous one who did all of these things that we can't do and has prepared this home for us that 
He says we just get to inherit, not because we earned it, not because we were this list of righteous things, but because he was this list. Um, and he did all of the things that we couldn't do because our hearts are wicked. Yeah. And how in Philippians 1, 9, it talks about that Paul's prayer for the believers is that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Mm-hmm. What comes from righteousness, that they would be filled with the fruit of that. And that righteousness is given to them. That righteousness comes to them through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so you said it already, Hope, but when you think that Jesus lived out all of these these commands that we see in this psalm, he did not fret himself over evildoers. He did not envy evildoers, but he committed his way to the Lord. And when you think that his way was to come into the face of wickedness and to die for the wicked, to give himself up for the wicked in order to bring salvation. And when you think, like you said, Anna, that our hearts are wicked. When we know ourselves, we know that we would count ourselves in that party were it not for the work that Christ did for us. And so I really think when we are in awe, like you said, Aaron, of what we knew we were, Mm. uh, but what we now see that the Lord has done for us, that righteousness that he's put in us, I think that gives us hope in the face of of wickedness around us. If the Lord can do that for us, the Lord wants to do that for us, he will do that in his world and it will be good. And we will see the blessing of that. I love that. And we can't, but help speak of what we've seen and heard. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be sharing that good news with other people. It's just what's on our lips. Mm. All right, Hope and Ina, thank you for talking with Amber and me today. It was so fun. Listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Press Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again next week. Listen as you're taking a walk around the neighborhood or as you're cleaning the house, guaranteed to improve your cleaning experience. We will be sitting down to talk with Julie Phillips, who is a local counselor, about depression and how to understand it, ourselves and God in light of Psalm 42 and 43. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again A season of clear shining To cheer it after the rain 